Hey guys, it's your host Sam Thornton. Before this episode begins, I wanted to promote the DL Sports Instagram page. The page has everything ranging from monster highlights, dope graphics, and reels. So before this episode begins, I want you to go ahead, pull out your phone, and give the page a follow at the handle at DLSportsCom. That's at DLSportsCom. I promise you won't regret it. It's the best sports news page on Instagram. And now we've even taken the page to TikTok with the exact same handle. So make sure you go follow both those accounts before this episode begins for similar content on the TikTok as well as the Instagram. Thanks, guys, and enjoy the show. On today's episode of On the DL Podcast, we have a great episode for you guys as we truck through these dog days of summer. We're going to discuss the SEC media days that took place in Atlanta last week, an interview with On3 Sports reporter Griffin McVeigh, a new segment called Cop It or Drop It that you guys will love. And finally, we brought back the music segment for this week. Some good things to debate for this episode, but guess what, guys? Less than 40 days, you heard me right, less than 40 days until college football and less than 50 until the NFL season begins. We have a lot to get into this episode, so let's not waste any time and get it rolling. Welcome to episode number four of On The Deal podcast, and we're going to start with media days for conferences across the nation that commenced this past week. There were discussions ranging from individual team objectives, conference realignment within the conferences during media days, all the way to discussing you know bigger political issues. Although all these Power 5 schools were all underway this past week, we're just going to focus on conference that matters the most and you guys already know that's sec so we're going to discuss sec media days and we're going to begin with mr nick saban saban had a lot of interesting things to say this past week in atlanta reporters were peppering him with a lot of different questions but i'm going to start with the funniest thing that he said regarding his future coaching status and newsflash he is not done coaching and he's probably never going to be done coaching until he drops dead on the sideline The question about his coaching status in the future wasn't even brought up to him either. I'm pretty sure he was just sitting at a desk with some of the SEC media crew at, you know, one of those long desks and they were just discussing the season with him. And he casually just said, quote, I wish all you guys would ask the other coaches that come up here because they tell all the recruits that I'm going to retire. So apparently this is what the coaches are saying to other recruits because they can't out recruit Nick Saban unless they pay him. Hint, hint. Uh, yeah, I'm talking about you, Jimbo. So clearly, this this man is not done anytime soon. I think Saban might coach until he drops dead. Seriously, just like Bear Bryant did at Alabama. Even if he were to retire, I think he would come back immediately because he always talks about how much he loves his job, and he's been telling the local news stations in Tuscaloosa all summer that how much he hates taking out the trash and doing chores around his house with Miss Terry. Moving on to the more important things, Saban did have some questions regarding NCAA realignment, which is what we're going to get into for the bulk of this show when Griffin McFay joins. Also talked about SEC expansion. He pretty much just said it's not his job or his role to understand the dynamics of what is in the best interest of the NCAA. And he has hint- he has hinted on that with other pro- with other problems, 
beforehand. However, he did say that Texas and OU joining is a very positive thing for the SEC, and I totally agree with that. More competitiveness, big schools, big boosters. He also said if there's a 220-team mega conference, you know, that ends up happening in the NCAA, how is that going to impact the schools that aren't in it? Which is another question I brought up with Griffin that we're going to answer. Also, what teams are going to be left out that might deserve to be in there? And as I've, like I've said before a couple episodes ago, is this going to be the case for just football? Or is this going to be how it is for every sport? You guys need to stay tuned for those questions later on. He also had some questions relating to you know just the overall roster and progress the team is making in camp. The only real Tide-related roster news he spoke about that I was somewhat worried about was Alabama's secondary. And he did say the cornerbacks were, quote, a work in progress, which is kind of a shocker to me because from everything I've been hearing, our secondary is going to be great this year. We have Kool-Aid McKinstry, Kyrie Jackson. We have Ricks from LSU transferring in. You know, it's just all very... You know, you think it's a good thing that we have going on here. The you know the, the defense is going to be stout. It's going to be deep. No no holes in the no holes in the defense that could be potentially bad. But Saban said that Kool Aid McKinstry and Kyrie Jackson have both been injured lately. Now I don't know what the degree of the injury is, and they've only had limited work up until recently. So they literally just started working out with the team. I'm pretty sure. When alluding to Ricks from the transfer portal from LSU. He's been working with the team, which is good, but he hasn't really learned the new defensive system. He's still learning and, and trying to get things trying to get things under his feet, trying to get comfortable with the with the with the secondary system. This does worry me to be honest, because when, whenever a coach says that, you know, you have you have some red flags in your mind. But I know it's gonna be fine in due time. All I can say is don't be surprised if Alabama's secondary is a weak spot for them come week one and two, especially week two at Texas, which is, you know, definitely a big game for us. It's a big game for Alabama, new enemy territory, gonna be a hostile environment. Those guys have to be on top of their game. And Kool-Aid was a freshman last year. I really thought he was Alabama's most improved player from last season, watching from you know week three all the way to the championship games, he played really, really well down the stretch. And that, yeah, there were times where he got exposed. He got exposed by Georgia receivers. He got exposed by other talented receivers. But he's learning, and he's learned a lot. So hopefully everything will be good by that time. But that secondary unit is going to be very key for the success of Alabama's defense and just overall for the team. You know, you can have pass rushers, you can have edge rushers, you have you can have great middle linebackers in the middle of the field shutting things down for everything that they can do in the middle, but you can still shut all that down in one game and it can be close if the offense isn't clicking. One deep ball can change everything for the opposing team. You know, Will Anderson can get tripled. Other edge rushers can get tripled. Anything can happen. One deep ball, it's over. It could be a tie game, one possession game, they could take the lead especially down the stretch, this is an area that is very, very important, not just for Alabama, but for, you know, all football teams at all levels. So definitely need to keep an eye on the progress of our secondary unit. I think we're going to be okay. You know, I trust Pete Golding, although I really didn't trust him in the beginning of last year, but 
trust the process. Definitely think everything's going to be all right, but that's definitely a area where you have to keep an eye on for sure. Keeping on pace with the Crimson Tide, both Will Anderson and Bryce Young were in attendance for SEC Media Day in Atlanta last week. And the quote that made headlines around social media and everywhere in the SEC was Will Anderson's comments when talking about Jimbo Fisher's comments from May about recruiting Nick Saban accusing him of buying recruits, as we've talked about before on this podcast. He said, no comment at the time, but quote, once the game gets on, we'll address it then. That he is a bad man and... I don't under I don't understand people from around the country that still don't know who Will Anderson is. He is the best player in the country, hands down. I think he's going to win the Heisman this year. Probably should have won the Heisman last year, if we're being quite honest. He had more combined sacks and pressures than all of the defensive edge rushers and taken in the top five this year. Combined. That's how dominant he is. He is a force to be reckoned with. I can't wait for this game. And I don't know why people aren't talking about it more on a national level, probably because it's not, you know, week one, but it's going to be so good. And if that man is saying it, you got to tune in because it's going to be a bloodbath. He's coming for blood. I did see a, I think it was a Texas A&M offensive, he might be an offensive lineman was saying like, he didn't even get one sack on us last year. You just you don't want to say that. That's bold. You're gonna awake the beast more than you already have. So I'm I'm so looking forward to October eighth in Tuscaloosa. If you're a football fan, you have to you have to tune in for that. As for Bryce Young, he was very composed with his comments, focused on the goal. You know, people asked him about if his life has changed at all since winning the Heisman and obviously he said no. He's he doesn't even really care that much about winning the Heisman, although it's a huge honor for him. He acknowledges that he's a Heisman winner. He's part of an elite fraternity, but he just wants to go out and win the trophy and be a champion. Kid has ice in his veins. He's always so composed and poised. And even when you watch him on television, he's so, he's just in the zone. He just has that gene in him. I know it's early, but I know he's going to be a hell of an NFL player, man. I don't care what anyone says if he's undersized. He's got that he's got that it in him that not many athletes have. It's like it's that Kobe Bryant gene. His entire life he's proved to people that he's that guy and that he can always get things done. He not he not really has faced adversity, I would say, because I know people were trolling him for his Heisman Award speech last year when he said, you know, I've overcome so many odds. And people were saying he was the number one recruit out of high school. When has he ever, you know, when has he ever overcome adversity? He doesn't really need to because he just proves every single year that he's the guy. He's just that dude. And he's so poised and can win everything he sets his mind to. So definitely going to be another great year for Bryce. Don't even have to worry about that. We're going to be fine. He's going to have a standout year. As for Jimbo Fisher... This is where things get very interesting. He was asked about, you know, both him and Nick Saban were asked about their relationship with one another because they have been friends in the past. Jimbo Fisher said, quote, we're great when discussing his relationship with Saban. He said everything is just fine and they're just two competitive guys 
blah, 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 blah. All right, guy. Yeah, everything is fine. Sure. Yeah. I'm going to agree with Paul Feinbaum here. If you saw his comments about him, he pointed this out so correctly. Pointed out Jimbo Fisher's just he's so hypocritical in this comment. The guys, this guy says it's fine, but hosts a press conference in May about Saban's comments on their illegal recruitment process, and then said Saban's words were despicable and used the and used the word despicable 15 times in a nine-minute window. He even called Saban a narcissist in that because he was saying. Oh, Saban's such a narcissist because whenever he doesn't get what he wants, he's not on top. He's just going to complain and cry. But yeah, sure. Okay, Jimbo. I guess everything is fine. Just other interesting comments, other interesting things that happened at SEC Media Day. South Carolina head coach Shane Beamer. That guy is such a weirdo. And if you haven't seen this video, you need to pull it up on social media because he posted a video of himself. I think he was on Twitter of him prepping for Media Day with Soldier Boy playing in the background and him dancing, confetti falling. He, this guy is such a character, to say the least. And if you saw it, you're just like, what did I just watch? <laughs> like, this guy is such, he just tries to be, he's just that guy who just tries to be the cool dad at the grill out party. It's just, sometimes it's hard to watch. But I do like Shane Beamer. I think he's going to turn that program around one day. Definitely want the Gamecocks to be more to be more present in the SEC with their competitive ability for sure. And they have, yeah, they have Spencer Rattler now. So Spencer Rattler will be with them. I know he was a disappointment last year with Oklahoma, but hopefully he can be a presence in the SEC, and we'll see how they do. Okay, let's get into our interview with Griffin McVeigh. This was an awesome interview, really getting into the dirt of NCAA realignment and what each conference should do moving forward. So without further delay, here's Griffin McVeigh. Okay, we now welcome on a very special guest. It is on three national news desk writer, Griffin McVeigh. Griffin, before we discuss NCAA realignment, I just want to ask you an important question. Is Texas back? You and everyone else, the question wants to know. Uh, no, they're not back, but... <laughs> we like where Sark is taking it and, I don't know, some improvement this year and then get in the SEC and see what see what can happen. But uh, I don't think I'll ever confidently say Texas is back until they are in a serious playoff conversation. And anyone who says otherwise, I think, is just wearing burnt orange glasses. <laughs> are you planning on being at the game this year? Yes, I'm very excited and – uh, I have some difficult decisions to make as to what color jersey or polo probably I'll be wearing. I'm leaning towards the burnt orange, uh, which is <laughs> when I tell people that that's the reaction I get. Ooh, or what? Like, why? Why are you doing that? But hometown team, it just trump trumps it for some reason, and it probably does help that the game's being played in Austin, but. Yes, I will be there, and I'm excited, nervous, scared, all the emotions. Yeah, for sure. Just wanted to get that out of the way. <laughs> well, we can start with the ACC. Let's start with the ACC because, to me, I think the ACC possibly, you can make the argument, is the most intriguing conference that's caught up in all this potential realignment solely based on the fact that they have so many teams that could leave. You have UNC – Miami, Clemson, 
FSU. Those are the teams or the schools at the forefront of all this for the ACC. And I read a great article from the Dallas Morning News that discussed what ACC Commissioner Jim Phillips said at their media day last week in Charlotte. And he seems very firm for the moment that the ACC needs to stay together saying, I will continue to do what is in the best interest of the ACC, but will also strongly advocate for college athletics to be a healthy neighborhood, not a gated community. And I thought that was a great analogy. I thought that analogy was spot on, but whenever you live geographically next to the SEC, you always drive by the gated community and see what you're missing out on. So Griffin, what are your thoughts on the state of the ACC and what do you think might happen there? I don't think you even have to drive by. I mean, in some, I mean, it's even in some of their states, Clemson's paired with South Carolina, Louisville with Kentucky, and obviously the state of Florida. But ACC is definitely in some danger. I know it's – if there is going to be any kind of movement relatively soon, I know it's going to be pretty expensive for these teams to get out. And it's not just even the four that you mentioned. I think Louisville is an interesting one. Uh, being what they have, what kind of relationship they have with Adidas and more than just football, they, they have a pretty good overall athletic department. And then, you know, Clemson is the recent, you know, big tough guy in college football. It's, it's an interesting time in the conference because like they have, they have a good set, like they have a good conference going, but the SEC is going to want to poach possibly four more teams at some point, whether Greg Sankey wants to admit it to not, he's probably going to have to get a few more in there at some point, and it's going to come from the, the ACC. And I think we kind of saw it with Texas OU. If the SEC is inviting, like inviting your program to come join them, that's a really hard thing to turn down just because you know, how the conference works and the prestige that comes with saying I'm an SEC school. So I think – I also think it kind of depends on which, which schools the SEC and who knows, maybe even the Big Ten come after – if they're going to come after your Florida States and Miami, you know, maybe that's a little bit easier because they're technically ACC expansion schools as well. But you start coming for the North Carolinas, uh, the Virginias, that's where may things get a little choppy because they'd be leaving behind a lot of history, obviously to better improve their financial standing as an athletic department. But I think maybe that's where the ACC tries to put its foot down and whether or not they can hold off what seemingly is becoming the two biggest and only conferences that hate to say what kind of matter. That's, that's where the future of the ACC lies. Absolutely. I agree with everything you just said. I think like I said, the ACC is the most intriguing conference. I think if there is movement, I, I, I would see more of a lenience towards the SEC rather than the big 10, obviously for geographical reasons, although I could see, UNC and the Big Ten for basketball associations. The biggest issue for the ACC is their TV right, their TV right bindings that go through, I think, something crazy like 2036 or 15 years down the line. Right. So there's legal issues at hand, although I think those four teams and also you mentioned Louisville are trying to find a way out. If that means they hire lawyers to get it done, I think they could, they, I think it could definitely get us to that point. The two other points that honestly interest me more are what are those remaining teams going to do when those teams leave and where does Notre Dame come into all this mess? Yeah. So Notre Dame is by far the biggest pawn still left. And I mean, at the end of the day, college realignment is about college football and money. So when you have Notre Dame 
you could argue is the biggest brand in all the entire sport. And so I think the Big Ten and SEC at some point are going to be fighting to get there because that's the next big domino. You had you had four teams, Texas OU, go to the SEC, UCLA, and USC that were willing. They're, they're, pretty, they're willing to leave their current conferences to go on to bigger and better things. Notre Dame is the one they, – like, they're going to try their very hardest to make sure that they remain independent. So they're – and whoever gets them is – like they're going to reap the benefits big time. That's going to help whatever media contract negotiations you have, whether it's now or in the future. If you have Notre Dame on your side, I mean, Notre Dame's so big, they have their own, like they have NBC. That's, that's a huge deal. But Notre Dame is kind of the, the next huge domino. And one, if slash when Notre Dame decides what they're going to do, I think at, at that point, everything's just going to flood out and moves are just going to be made rap, like rapidly. From a fit standpoint, the Big Ten obviously makes the most sense because location, rivalries. But I don't know. You can. I feel like it's unfair to count out the SEC in anything like this. It's they're going to make big moves. Um, it would probably be a little bit of an awkward fit. You know, teams. I mean, teams going up to Missouri to play football games feels a little bit odd at times. Uh, then you add in the state of Indiana and. Just Notre Dame as a general, Notre Dame playing against, you know, Alabama, Auburn, LSU on a yearly basis. And it, it would just be a weird fit. But Notre Dame's going to do what's best for Notre Dame, whether that's remaining independent. And if they decide the SEC is the best for them, I mean, that's what they're going to do. And the SEC is not going to tell them no. They're too, too valuable, too big. But they got – they're also an interesting standpoint. You're talking about the legal situations where, like, Clemson – I don't, I don't know any of the numbers really because I'm sure it's a huge mess, but like Clemson's buyout is going to be significantly larger than Notre Dame's because Clemson has football. Notre Dame would just be getting rid of, you know, basketball and your Olympic lower revenue sports. They can get out of their ACC deal a lot easier. So if that, it, it, I think it all, it comes down to if they remain independent, then uh, the Big Ten and SEC may scramble a little bit to get some of these other teams. If they decide to go to conference, it may just turn into a big old-fashioned bidding war. And once that domino falls, I think every the floodgates kind of open, and within a year or two, that's when we know what modern college athletics is going to look like. Absolutely. And I'm glad you mentioned the the fit aspect that you alluded to. I think that is just completely thrown out of the window ever since USC yeah, and UCLA joined the Big Ten. I mean, I think it's all about having a mega conference. I don't think geographical realignment matters at all. And I do think that in the end, I think that Notre Dame is going to be independent up until the very end, even if they do end up making a move. I just feel like they're going to be able to sit out and wait their turn and see how the dominoes fall, like you said because they do have that leverage with the ACC and their, their buyout in terms of football. So I think so, something gonna... else I think about Notre Dame is what the SEC decides to do scheduling wise could uh, play factor into this, because if there's one thing Notre Dame is not going to give up, it's going to be their yearly games against USC Navy and Stanford. So if the SEC decides to go to eight games that may benefit them more to where they can then also still play those, you know, elite 
power five conference games against, you know, your Georgia's, your other SEC, or I guess then they want Michigan, Ohio State, like those type of big games that Notre Dame loves to play in home and away. I think eight conference games can help with helping uh, the SEC's favor because it gives them more schedule flexibility from that standpoint. Yeah, totally. I totally agree with what you said. There's a lot of confusion and conjunction going around in the ACC, but let's move on to the Big 12 and the Pac-12. I know you saw this, but before last week, it looked like the Pac-12 and the Big 12 might combine into one mega conference of their own. In the end, the talks concluded simply because there wasn't enough revenue to feed all 22 teams of a mega conference. So the question I have for you, or that can be brought up is, do you think a few teams can end up joining the Big 12 from the Pac-12, like your Utah, Oregon, Colorado, Arizona State, Arizona schools? Or do you think both sides will go in a totally different direction? Right. So that was the – so the reason it fell apart is because I think the one of the two was hoping to just fully combine. And then I think the Big 12 kind of told the Pac-12, was like, yeah, like, we're good. And then there's also been talks of Colorado, Utah, and the two Arizona schools joining the uh, Big 12. I don't know. It's interesting because it feels like you have the remaining California schools of Cal and Stanford, whose primary goals as a university is clearly not athletics. They're academic through and through. And then you have Washington and Oregon, with Oregon mainly being the big brand, and Washington's made playoffs but they're kind of associated with Oregon because they're not like those are just two big rivals to not be together and then Washington State and Oregon State I mean I mean it kind of stinks but somewhat not afterthoughts but they're not like they're not big name brands so it's I feel like the Pac-12 is in a lot of danger just because there's not much there's not much left to where like if you're trying to get like a conference to somewhat compete with the big 10 or sec. There's not much there where you're like, okay, wow, this is like, this is going to work out. And I don't think big 12 schools are going to join the pac 12. I think it's going to be a little bit different. I think the new big 12 commissioner, uh, Brett Yormark, I think he's going to be aggressive in trying to get, whether it's the Arizona schools, bring back Colorado. I mean, Utah, Utah is a good, uh, athletic department their football team has been doing well um, it sounds like the Oregon and Washington thing is kind of iffy right now but I think the Big 12 is going to be one that's going to be the aggressor and make sure that they're not the one crumbling apart just because if not that there's like a bigger sense of urgency from them but it's kind of like okay we're more committed to making this this football conference realignment thing work and we're going to do whatever it takes to get that so I think They'll try to be aggressive. The new commissioner wants to, you know, kind of put his foot down, put his stamp on things. Like, this is how we're going to do it. So be a little bit more aggressive uh, to the point of adding four teams. So that would put them at 14. And then if they can work something out with Washington and Oregon, I think that would be, that'd be a good conference to where they could still be competitive in the football arena. Yeah, I think you brought up a good point about Oregon and Washington. Those are kind of the outliers of the big of the Pac-12 that are on the fence of movement. I do agree with you. I think that the Big 12 is going to be assertive with their pursuit of teams to get them to join 
I think that they're going to try to get some of those schools that you and I just listed off and maybe even accrued a few others here and there to get their mega conference intact. And as for the Pac-12, I see lots of similarities between them and the ACC for the ones that might be the outliers of both those conferences. Both of them are kind of lost in the cards of all of this and the Big Ten and the SEC are they're set. The Big 12 is the next best position to be in. And then those two are kind of lost in all this. So I think that even though it makes no sense geographically, I've heard rumblings of the ACC and the Pac-12 outliers possibly, you know, coming together as like the major coastal division for the East and the West part of the country. So then it would be, so it'd be them as a super, the big 12 as a super, then the big 10 and the SEC. And that would be four instead of five. And it looks like it might turn out to be only two or three. So do you think that the remaining ACC and Pac-12 teams could be left out of the gated community as a whole? And then it would just only be, you know, the big 12, the new big 12, the new SEC and the new big 10. I mean, I wouldn't put it like, I, I would not, that would not be out of the question. I think, I think both, I think we've learned conference realignment and probably learned it 10 years ago when, you know, the SEC was making their moves. I think feelings are kind of out the door when it comes to this kind of stuff. I mean, Oregon may continue their yearly thing, their yearly rivalry game with Oregon state uh, throughout their sports. But I mean, if they're not in the same conference, it feels like they may not, they don't really care. I mean, we've seen so many different types of rivalry and games thrown away, but yeah, there's definitely going to be like a trimming of teams to where they're not considered part of the major conferences anymore. There's just, I, I feel like I hear all the time people talking about how on a weekly basis, there's just not enough college football games where you're like, Oh my, like I have to sit down and watch this. And you compare it to the NFL to where you can probably go down and select, you know, four or five games where you're like, like I'm pumped to watch this game on Sunday. And when you have, you know, USC visiting Pullman on a Saturday in the middle of October that kicks off at 9.30. There aren't many people around the country that are going to be super ecstatic to sit down and watch that game. You get Ohio State and you put them on the West Coast and 9.30 kickoff still, and they're playing UCLA or USC. Like, that's going to bring more eyeballs. And so I think whether or not the, the two Coastals have some kind of league, I'm not sure. I don't know if you could quantify that as a, one of the mega conferences with, you know, California schools, Pacific Northwest, and then, like, your Syracuse, Pitt, and all that. But I, I think some teams are definitely going to be left on the outside to where, like, there's just no emotion attached to them. It's like, this is what we got to do to, you know, help our – financial standpoint and we're going to join these conferences if we cut ties with people we've been with for nearly a century then so be it yeah totally I totally get that the you know the question that you know if there is these two or three mega conferences this is what's been troubling me the most about that topic we know that football is king it brings in the most revenue by far but what about sports like basketball all the way to swimming and diving your olympic sports will those sports be brought along into the gated communities because there's a lot of smaller schools that are dominant at low revenue sports. For instance, like 
Northern Arizona is the best cross country school or UConn is the best at women's basketball. Uh, the list goes on and on. So do you think they'll be left out because their football team sucks? And, you know, do you think that's where things are going? That's where things get tricky for me. I don't know if it's going to be a one rule system, like you said, just because football is the reason for realignment or if it's going to be different for every sport. Yeah, that's an interesting one because I don't know if it had any serious legs, but I saw something pop up the other week about how, like, there may be changes to the NCAA tournament where the every conference, you know, they don't get an automatic bid anymore, which would just be horrible in my opinion. But I think when you look at your sports like basketball and baseball, which I feel like most – like, everyone kind of knows what's going on there. You get – I mean, as long as you're a Division One pretty much FBS conference you're and you win, like you're going to the, you're going to the NCAA tournament and both basketball and baseball. I think it, like you said, it does get tricky. I mean, you get these smaller schools that excel in, like you said, swimming, diving and UConn and women's basketball. And I don't know, maybe the path is a little bit difficult to, you know, win these championships because I mean, if it's a, if it's a two conference thing, then everyone like, you know, the SEC is going to stockpile all this talent and then dominate their individual sports. Not that they don't already do that to a certain extent, but I think small schools are definitely in danger of, you know, not, not becoming like extinct when it comes to, you know, winning athletic, whatever their sport may be, but it's definitely killing off opportunities for other schools to, to do well and just let the big schools and win these trophies yeah and you brought up an interesting point earlier on and when we were talking you brought up uh you know cal and stanford and another team that i thought of was duke you know duke has duke basketball uh you know stanford has women's you know their bat their women's basketball program is very good you know i'm just curious you know what's going to happen with with those kind of schools are those teams going to come together as one because they're kind of have similar objectives in terms of their athletic program and their overall stature as university what do you think could happen there yeah maybe make like an ivy league 2.0 i don't know uh duke you mentioned duke that's an interesting one to me and you're obviously from the area so you know a little better but i just find it interesting that the talk of north carolina leaving and duke has just not been attached to their name at all whatsoever it's been virginia and then north carolina's in there because of their brand and that kind of stuff. But, and then there's other big brands, but yeah, the academic schools are interesting because they like, they care about academics more outside of maybe Duke caring about basketball. I, I bet if you ask your average, maybe not your average because they're not average, but you're like your Stanford people who run Stanford, I bet like they like athletics because it brings in a little bit of revenue, but they still make a, a lot of money from, you know, their academic achievements, their research and all that kind of stuff. So it feels like at some, some of these schools would be perfectly fine just not having athletics or, you know, having athletics take a huge, like, just go to the back. Like, like we're an academic school and that's what we care about first and foremost. And I feel like that's how some of the leaders feel compared to like Ohio state leaders are a thousand and ten percent invested into athletics and mainly football. So I don't know if they, I think it, I don't think any of them are just going to dissolve their athletic programs, but 
I could easily see where they're like, all right, well, we don't have any conference, you know, stability. Like we're just going to put athletics on the back burner if they're already not on the back burner. Yeah. And I think it does make it more troublesome. The reason you probably haven't heard Duke's name in any of this is just because, you know, they're a private institution. Stanford's a private institution. Um, So it's just, there's just a lot of, you know, there's a lot of layers to all of this. But Griffin, know, do, you think, do you think Duke could pull off a, a Notre Dame and go the independent route in basketball? I feel like they're big enough and they could easily absolutely. schedule well enough, I feel like. Absolutely. I think they could definitely pull it off for, for basketball, uh, for sure, um, just because of their historic program. And they would have to do a similar thing with uh, how Notre Dame schedules games with USC and Navy every single year. They would have to do the same mm-hmm. thing with your UNC's, your NC State's, probably your Virginia's, other schools. So it would be a similar uh, situation that Notre Dame is in, and I could totally see that happening for sure. Yeah, that would be interesting. Just see how they work out the schedule to where, you know, I mean, I feel like scheduling as an independent would be a whole lot harder in basketball, but, I mean, I feel like if anyone could do it, it's probably Duke. For sure. But just, just a thought. Yeah, definitely. I definitely agree with that. Uh, Griffin, give me your final prediction on all this realignment. How long do you think this is going to take to get done? Give me your prediction on what you think the outcome will be and when do you think we could see a solidified outcome of potential mega conferences? That's tough. Um, One thing I would feel confident in is Notre Dame eventually getting pushed to the Big Ten. I think I, I don't think the independent thing will be sustainable, and like if it just makes too much sense to go to the Big Ten, um, I, I think that's pretty much a match made in heaven. It feels like it has been for years. Um, I think the SEC, Greg Sankey can talk about all he want all he wants about, about being patient. I think I said that like he's even being super patient about Texas and OU joining. He's like, that's not my problem. They're here in 2025, and we'll deal with it then. So he, like he can say he's patient all he wants, but at some point there's going to be some sense of urgency, um, and that sense of urgency is probably when the Big Ten gets Notre Dame. I think Florida State um, will join the SEC. They're just connected with Florida, a uh, big brand, and I know they've been they've been down and. They don't have the best list of accomplishments in the ACC, but uh, it just makes too much sense. I think Florida would welcome them into the conference. Clemson's an interesting one because like, they've had their great run recently. And if you go a little further back, it's not like the you know borderline blue blood that I feel like we kind of think of them now. I think but, it would be great for them to join with that. They could redo a rivalry with USC, which would be cool. Right. Yeah, I think UNC is a good one as well. I mean, jo- having UNC join the SEC from a basketball perspective alone is like, massive. Yeah, that would be huge. And I think it would create a lot of fun stuff. And then, I don't know, you can – is UNC going to hold on to Virginia? Or are they going to – I don't I know. Think they, I think they would leave them in the dust, to be honest. You think so? You. I think UVA is more compared to institutionally-wise as – a Duke, like they're on that same sort of academic level and stature. I think they're they're up there in terms of they're way more comparable to Duke as a whole. I believe just because 
you know, both their football programs aren't the best, but they both have very solid foundations, historic right. programs for basketball. So right. I, I would, I would compare them to, I feel like if anyone's going to stick, stick together, it would be Duke and UVA rather than UVA and UNC. Okay. See that. I think another, like, I, I don't know. I don't understand why they're not getting talked about a little bit more, but like, I think the Louisville brand is like a big one that would, benefit the sec i know they have kentucky and they're about like their basketball and what they're doing in football is really good but i feel like what louisville has going with adidas like they're adidas's main school they they love like they're helping out louisville in a big way with all this nil stuff and i just think it it would unlock a new like a new section for the conference and uh, i think it would do a lot of good i mean louisville's not just a basketball school or what they're doing in football they're they're winning elsewhere i know there's some con- recent controversy with them but I, that's easy to look over and i, I think louisville is a as a program's kind of getting overlooked and if you can't get your virginia's or your uva's or sorry duke and then you you decide you only want one of the you only want one of the florida schools florida state or miami i think I think Louisville is a valuable brand that the SEC could use and help transition, you know, some of the ACC, like if you add four ACC schools, uh, like UNC, for example, it may not feel like a pure, perfect natural fit, but I think Louisville could be a good, like a good segue and help it just feel like a big, you know, the super conference that we talk about and like everyone just kind of meshes together. Yeah. And I, I get that. And I, I think that they would be a good addition in terms of that. They have a huge rivalry, obviously with UK. Mm-hmm. So, and they have, they have an overall great foundation with their athletics program and with Adidas. So I could probably see it more so them leaning towards the SEC rather than the big 10 or being, they would, they would never be left behind. They would get either picked up by the big 10 or the SEC. So. And imagine that from a, I mean, I, we said like this is all about college football, but from a basketball perspective, having UNC, Louisville, Kentucky, Tennessee's on the up. Miami's pretty good year in year out. Right, so like that area. So is Florida State. Of the con- that area of the conference would be so much fun from a basketball perspective. Oh yeah, it would be top to bottom. Would probably be. I mean, I don't have my notes on me or anything, but I think it would probably be the best. Probably be the best top to bottom for for basketball in the country. Yeah, and. Get those, yeah, get them playing twice a year. It would be a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Griffin, this was great. I'm so interested to see what's going to happen here. Uh, you're more than welcome to come back on the show if anything develops or if you just want to come on and talk about college football. But thank you Literally, for your time. Whenever, whenever you want, dude. Just yeah. let me know. I'm, absolutely. I'm sitting around writing about it anyway, so I may as well vocalize it and talk about it. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing better than that. Thanks for your time, <laughs> boss. I appreciate it. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Griffin McVeigh. Now it's time for the new segment on this show called Cop It or Drop It. I'm going to go over some recent sports signings and tell you guys if I approve, which means cop it, or if I don't, which means drop it. So let's start with the Nino Niederreiter deal that happened last week. Nino Niederreiter, former Hurricane, signed a two-year, $8 million deal with the Nashville Predators this week. He was on the open market for such a long time before being picked up, which was so shocking to me because he's such an 
he's such an underrated player in my opinion. Uh, like I said, former Hurricane, he was a huge fan favorite in Raleigh, so definitely disappointing. Everyone in the comments with their with the Hurricane send off post, everyone was every very much in their feels during that. But I'm gonna go cop it with this one. This was an absolute steal for the Preds. Four mil for his production is insane value, and unfortunately, the Hurricanes didn't have enough cap space for him. They only had four million left in their budget. And the question was, were they going to try to budget for Nino and also keep Max Pacioretty? Or were they going to pay Natchez and Bear instead on deals for them? And we don't know if they're also going to get a trade done for them. We heard, I saw this rumor, the Matthew Kachuk deal that happened with Florida this week. The Hurricanes did offer Natchez a first-round pick to Calgary for Kachuk. But clearly, they went with the Florida deal because it was insane for them. But it would have been amazing to keep both Nino and Pacioretty on the same team because that physical presence on the wing would have been absolutely nuts. But in the end, we did know that this was his replacement, so it would have been too good to be true. Instead, it looks like the Kings are going to budget for an HS and Bear unless a trade happens in the future, like I just said. But even if they got rid of Jake Gardner's hit, they still wouldn't have room for all three of them to stay. And... Speaking of Jake Gardner, I don't know why the Canes have kept this guy around. He's His injury was so significant. He's out of his prime, and he was so bad even when he was healthy. I remember like the games that didn't matter at the end of the last season, not this season, but the year before that. He was god-awful, and he was only playing because we had already clinched and we didn't want to play our starters. Can we just drop him already? It just annoys me that people are still on board with him. What annoys me even more is... Nino did everything he could production-wise to stay in Carolina and get paid, and he totally deserved to get paid at least $4 million. Natchez and Bear honestly don't deserve to get paid, and you could only make a case for Natchez based on his production the year before last, but this year he was so awful. He was way below his production rate from last year, and Bear was never healthy enough for us. He got COVID, never recovered, and... It just wasn't a good fit. I don't understand why we're trying to make room for him and give him another chance when Nino clearly deserved to be paid. Unfortunately, that's the business of the NHL. Definitely caught for the Nashville Predators in this deal. Good luck to Nino. The Hurricanes fans will always love you, and good luck in Nashville, buddy. This is probably the biggest one I'm going to go over. Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals have finally come to agreement amidst their cloudy crossroads over the last couple months. They gave Murray a five-year, $230 million extension, and I'm pretty sure 160 mil was guaranteed in this deal. This makes him the second-highest-paid QB in the NFL. Now, we're going to dive deep into this deal, but I'm definitely leaning towards Coppet on this, and here's why. I read a terrific article on, on Sports Illustrated over the weekend, and it really hit this deal and this scenario right on the money. The question presented was, why was there so much unnecessary drama in this deal getting done? And what were the Cardinals going to do without him on their team? Why did it have to go so far to the point where Kyler had to scrub all of his social media pages, especially when the Cardinals extended their head coach, Cliff Kingsbury, and their GM to long-term deals? So after those deals were done, you would think that right after that, they would sign Kyler along with just, you know, the whole package deal which they did just end up doing. But why did that not happen sooner? Kyler Murray is not the second best quarterback in the NFL. 
we're, we all know that. Let alone, I don't even think he's a top 10 QB. However, he is a very good quarterback and even MVP-like in the regular season in September and October. And he's that he's that valuable to the team because he fits perfectly in their offensive scheme. This goes without saying, though, they have to get over their playoff and impactful game woes down the stretch at the end of the season. If they don't, this deal was for nothing, for all three of those important pieces of the offense and for the team as a whole, which might be the answer to why this deal took so long. Kyler was, let's just be honest, he was horrendous against the Rams in the playoffs last year, and the Cardinals lost four of their last five after starting 7-0. and That might be why it took them some time to get this done, but I believe the front office realized, listen, we're not going to get anything better than Kyler. We're... We have to take this gamble as a whole. We have no other choice. The only options were Jimmy G and Baker. And now Baker obviously is with the Carolina Panthers, so I guess if you were going to make a move last minute, it would be Jimmy G. If we're going to compare, let's say, Baker Mayfield and Kyler just for fun, I have a stat comparison between them, and I'm going to pull them out right now. This was on Twitter I saw the other day. QB comparison, first three seasons. Kyler Murray. Record 22, 23, and 1. Baker Mayfield's record was 23 and 22. Kyler Murray touchdown 70. Baker Mayfield 75. Interceptions 34 for Kyler Murray. Interceptions for Baker Mayfield 43. Passer rating 93.9 for Kyler. Passer rating for Baker 89.4. Playoff record for Kyler is 0 and 1. Playoff record for Baker is 1 and 1. Now, this doesn't mention Kyler's rushing touchdowns, so it's kind of, you could say it's clickbait. All of that being said, though, Kyler bet on himself with the stunts he pulled, and it paid off big time. He's now the second highest paid QB in the NFL, so he got his money. An important thing to mention, though, remember, DeAndre Hopkins got hurt last December, which is when the Cardinals began to decline. That's when they started to go downhill. They were doing great. He gets injured in December. Look what happens. They're pitiful. That's important to note because Hopkins, remember, is suspended the first six games of the season for PED usage. So the first six games this year is going to be very important for college performance. He has to prove that he can pull his weight without his number one receiver. The guys in the top 10, they can do that. Aaron Rodgers, he can do that. Patrick Mahomes, he can do that. Josh Allen, he can do that. Even Justin Herbert. He could probably do that. Christian Kirk left as well. So they had to fill in a hole. They ended up bringing in Hollywood Brown from the Ravens. So Kyler now is his former teammate from Oklahoma to rely on. I like Hollywood Brown. I think he's a good player, but he had some catching issues last year with the Ravens. And I know this because he was on my fantasy team. He could have had twice as many touchdowns as he had last year, but he literally dropped every single ball that was thrown to him in the first half of the season. So hopefully he can get over that. Overall, we'll see how this deal pays off, but I like Kyler a lot. He's a fellow short king, but I'm going to hold him accountable until he proves himself in the biggest moments or, or else he's just not never going to get any credibility as a top 10 QB. On another note, this is all very interesting for another quarterback in Lamar Jackson, who's in a similar position as Murray because he's also been holding out to get paid. You know, he's been posting on social media like Murray was, although Murray didn't post anything. He just scrubbed his scrubbed all of his stuff, Arizona Cardinals related. But Lamar has been posting stuff 
on his Twitter, I'm pretty sure his Twitter background is like him with a grill on that says, pay me. So are the Ravens going to take note of this deal and use it for Lamar? We don't know. We don't know if something's going to get done before the season starts or if they're going to wait until see how he performs this season with the Ravens. Anyways, going to be very interesting to see and can't wait for the NFL season. Kirby Smart. Georgia head coach Kirby Smart signed a massive 10-year deal worth $112.5 million, and I hate to say it, but he definitely deserves this money and this copper for me all the way. He's proven that he's an elite coach and he's a good recruiter. You know, he's he's been to a few college football playoffs now. They went to the national championship in 2018 and lost and probably should have won that game, to be quite, quite honest with you. And they won it all last year. He's a great leader as well. Definitely his, his players for sure buy into his system and the way he coaches the team. So he definitely deserves this money. Former Alabama assistant, so got to show love to him. Staying on the topic of UGA, I really hate to say this as well, but even though they lost a lot of starters in the draft last year, they're still going to be a dominant force and a good team to be reckoned with this year and could absolutely make it to the playoff again. Most likely will win the SEC East. I haven't done a lot of research into the SEC East because Alabama's in the SEC West, and that's where most of the powerhouse schools are. One player to keep an eye on is Brock Bowers. This guy is an absolute bucket, and I'm man enough to admit that. He's the best tight end in the country, hands down. He's NFL ready. He was NFL ready last year, and I'm really excited to watch him play. I'm really excited to watch him play until they play Alabama. I was sweating the whole time he was playing against us because this guy is, he's something else. He's, he's so good. He's going to be a great NFL player. So keep an eye on UGA, but yes, Kirby smart definitely deserves this money, deserves this deal. Even though he copies everything Alabama does in their locker room. Great coach, great guy too. So that's a copy for me on that. Is Gronk done with football? I'm going to go with drop it. Come on, guys. We know that Gronk is going to make a comeback. It seems that him and Brady always love to play this game every single year. I think he could definitely make a return in November or December, especially after the comments his girlfriend said, and she doesn't think that he's going to be done with football. She's for sure in the doghouse after that. Uh, <laughs> feel bad for <laughs> Feel bad for her, but... Whatever she says is definitely true. And the Bucks also haven't brought in another tight end, I believe. So it all just points to him for making a return, especially because they're making room for him. It also just, it's the summertime. So I think he just wants to bull and party and have a good time. So Gronk is definitely going to make a return, guys. Just wait for it. I know it's going to happen. We're going to drop it on this one. Came out last week that the Jazz reportedly want seven to eight first round picks for Donovan Mitchell in a trade with the team. The Utah Jazz, that is, I understand their thirst trap for him. That's just crazy ask. And Donovan is a superstar, but I don't know if he's worth seven picks. So this is the drop it for me. I could see three to four picks being realistic, but that's just insane to me. They want to rebuild. The Jazz do, so I get where they're coming from and what they have to do after getting rid of Rudy Gobert, and they're definitely going to get rid of Donovan Mitchell at some point. It could be until February, though, but the only team, like I said in the last episode, is who would be willing to do this is the Knicks because they are the most desperate team by far. 
Again, I'm going to drop it. You can't give up that many future assets, no matter who you are. Even if you're the Knicks, you you just can't do that. You can't do that. And one of them is going to turn out eventually. It's not like you guys are that cursed. Honestly, Mitchell, I think, could be compromised in a couple years as well with his game. His game is sort of Westbrook-like, if you will. He's so ball-dominant and really doesn't play any defense, or at least didn't play any defense in the playoffs last year, and I think they would totally regret that two or three years from now. He could have just not been playing defense because he doesn't want to be with the Jazz, and they also weren't going to make it very far in the playoffs, so I could totally see that, but that's a drop it for me. Seven, eight first-round picks for Donovan Mitchell is absolutely absurd, and I don't even know if people would do that for Kevin Durant, to be quite honest with you, so... That's a drop it from me. NFL team has released their alternate helmets for this year. And oh my God, all of them are so fire. I'm going to cop this all day long. I like the Panthers and the Bengals one the most. They play each other on week nine of the schedule. So the Panthers have an all black uniform now with their black helmet that just came out. And the Bengals will now have all white uniform with their white Bengals helmet. And please, 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 Lord. Can they please play each other and wear those uniforms for that matchup on week nine? Can you imagine a, a whiteout versus a blackout? Cats going at it? That would be so sick. And tell me if I'm wrong. I dare you. I also really liked some other ones too. The Cowboys had some really cool ones. I'm just really excited that the NFL is allowing this now. Finally, it just made no sense before why the NFL was only allowing a team to have one helmet one helmet like a designated helmet it really made no sense to me we got this going now it's going to be great and it's just going to be really exciting to see all these teams come out and play with them deandre aiden is staying with phoenix after they matched the offer with the pacers i'm going to cop this i was surprised that they even like matched this deal with the pacers after hearing rumors about deandre aiden and monty williams not getting along very well i think he's a great player i think they would have regretted Regretted him walking. He's a double-double machine. They are no longer in the KD sweepstakes after that. And honestly, I think it's fine because they have such a great young team. And they have a lot of things to develop on. They've been really good the last two years. And hopefully they don't, you know, talk their shit so much before they get absolutely mollywopped in the first or second round. That was just, they had that coming this year. So they definitely learned their lesson. And I think they'll be back next year. That's a cop it for me. Last one is Jimmy G. Porn star Jimmy is on the move, but where is he going to go? I'm going to give you guys a cop it option for him instead of saying, you know, just like him leaving is a cop it. I think his best fit is in Seattle with the Seahawks, and I get it. He would be in the NFC West still, and I don't know if the 49ers would be willing to give him up in the same division. But I think that's the best fit for him with the weapons with Lockett and DK Metcalf. Not to mention they have Kenneth Walker now from Michigan State, who's an absolute beast. So I think the Seahawks, you know, they have to be desperate for someone enough other than Drew Locke, right? Am I crazy on that? Or are they really going to ride Drew Locke out this whole year? I guess we're going to see if they make a move or wait for the draft to get Stroud or Young or QB next year. But some other options I noted down were the Giants and the Texans. Especially with Daniel Jones being on his last year of his contract, I think it would be a real possibility for them to pick him up, potentially. It's going to be interesting to see where he goes. I think he's actually a really good quarterback who deserves more respect. 
you know, he's in that tier with, you know, like it's like him. It's like Jimmy G, Derek Carr and Kyler Murray are like those outside guys looking in of the top 10 of NFL quarterbacks that just are good, but can't quite get it done when it matters most. But he did go to a Super Bowl and he went to an NFC championship game last year with a surprising 49ers squad that came on late. So he's always been overlooked. And I think Jimmy G could definitely turn one of those teams around. That's a bottom feeder. So I'm going to go cop it for the Seahawks. All right, guys, to finish out the show, we're going to go back with some music love for me. We're doing our music segment that I've done in the past instead of the betting tavern because there's just nothing on TV right now to bet on. So Joey Badass, he just dropped his album 2000. It's the sequel to his album 1999, which I think is one of the best rap albums to ever release. This album was so amazing. I was listening to it in the car yesterday after driving back. And it's been five years since he dropped the last album, which was All-American Badass in 2017, which was also amazing. This man has not missed on an album yet. He's had four. All of them have been super quality. And I knew he would come through with for the fans with the quality of music for us on this album. He had some disappointing singles over the last couple years and was kind of quiet, so... Really glad he got into his bag and showed us why he's one of the greats. He even said that in one of his songs. He said that him, Kendrick Lamar, and J. Cole are the best three rappers in the game right now. So he's kind of throwing some shade on Drake there. I don't know if you guys agree with what he said. I think he could have a definite argument. If you if you don't even if you're a rap fan or just a fan of music in general and you don't know Joey Badass, you gotta check out his music. He's so good. And I'm going to give you all my top three from the album. I would say Where I Belong is my number one. Cruise Control is my number two. And Brand New 911 with West Side Gun is my third. Want to Be Loved with J.I.D. is a great one too. This album really had no misses at all. So you guys really need to make sure you give it a listen. Really hope you guys like this. If you're a rap fan, you could text me anytime, mention me anytime on social media to give some reviews on some albums, some songs. I'll let you know how I think about them. But yeah, 2000 by Joey Badass. Terrific album. Hope you guys enjoy it. All right, guys, that's all for this episode of On The DL Podcast. Thanks again for listening. It means so much to me. Make sure you guys stay tuned for updates and make sure to, again, follow the socials for more entertainment. See you guys next week.